A messy divorce, a difficult custody battle, missing children. The Ruckies, while seemingly normal to the neighbors in their Midwestern town, were struggling with more than their fair share of issues when one evening, their two teenage daughters seemingly vanished. Sifting through an epic argument of he said, she said, we find three stories, his, hers, and the truth on this episode of the Queers for Fears podcast. Patrons will get it. So today, nobody <laughs> else has ever been distracted by that. <laughs> today we will be diving into the this like wild hot mess of a missing person case of Samantha and Gianna Rucky. They are two teenagers that were aged 13 and 14 when they disappeared from their home in Lakeville, Minnesota. And spoiler alert: it has a happy ending because the alphabet murders really fucked with me. So I'm like, we're gonna do. Like, mummies and a missing person case with a happy ending. <laughs> because <laughs> I am sad. <laughs> so, um, this is probably going to be a two-parter. Just because I read, once again, a whole ass book about this case. So, I use the... There's a Dateline episode called Footprints in the Snow, I think is what it's called. No, it's called um, The Girls Are Gone. Sorry. Nope. It's called Footprints in the Snow. And, <laughs> and so, Dateline fans. I'm sorry. It's like, be- what a roller coaster. <laughs> it's because I used that Dateline episode. The book that I used was called The Girls Are Gone. Oh. And it's by Allison Mann and Michael Broadcorb. Um, and it's a really good read, but it's also very, there's a lot of court transcripts. So if you're not into like the legal aspects of a true crime case, it's not, it's probably not your bag, but I already bought it on uh, my Kindle. So I'm like, well, now I have to finish this <laughs> because I spent money on it. Um, so let's start at the beginning, shall we? David Rucky and Sandra R- Grissini in 1984 met at a party while they were in college and David asked a friend who Sandra was, and he replied, like, his friend was just like, he, she has a boyfriend. Like, you're yeah, barking about it. Yeah. on the wrong tree. And David replied that he'd be dating her by the end of the week. Damn. Can you imagine being that confident? Lord no. Lord, the confidence of a mediocre <laughs> white man. Seriously. But he was right, because by the end of the week, she was dating him. All right. All right. So, David Rocky was a three-sport athlete in baseball, football, and basketball. He loved the city. He bought the family business, which was a very successful national trucking company. So he was pretty well off. And uh, Sandra Gazzini grew up in a wealthy family. She was a cheerleader. She was voted like... Um, you can't spell trucking without Rocky. <laughs> I hate, I hate you. Carry on. So 
I was like, I was like, I wonder what trucking company. She could be. looks like she was thinking really hard while I was talking, and I was like, is she just like wandering to like chores she needs to do tomorrow or what? No, no. I was like, what trucking company could be Rucky Trucking? And I was like, oh my god, Rucky is in the word trucking. And then I came up with a bad joke, and now we're here. Sorry. I- I need to compose myself. Hang on. <laughs> See, this is why we're friends. I can say the stupidest thing and she will genuinely laugh. That's really funny. Anyway, <laughs> I'm mad that I didn't think of it. So, Sandra grew up in this wealthy family. She was a cheerleader. It was like a very, like, stereotypical relationship like, of jock cheerleader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, she was voted most talkative in her senior class. She always dreamed of having a really big family one day. Um, I was about to say relatable, but not anymore. No. Were you a cheerleader and voted most talkative? I was very talkative. I was voted most likely to become an astronaut. I mean, that almost happened. You went right? to space camp twice. That tracks. I did, right? <laughs> they were like, looking at this girl's record of nerdy bullshit. <laughs> Somebody tell Common Core state standards that your kid made, that your st- fellow students made inferences uh, based <laughs> on the evidence that was in front of them. Anyway, so she grew up in a big family of her own, which is why she wanted a big family. She was one of seven kids. And she was a flight attendant, and on the side, she would compete in beauty pageants. What? What a what a life! <laughs> I know. There's like a Dateline clip of her, like in like the swimsuit portion of a beauty pageant, and I'm just like, what the hell? If I look like that after having five kids, <laughs> like, Lord. If I look like that now, Lord. <laughs> um. So in 19, so like the couple broke up, I believe. Um, after college, I think. I don't know, like, in college, you just kind of, like, I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, you just kind of want to, like, explore and, like, get to know yourself and, like, get to know what you really want in a partner. Like, I get it. So, eventually, they get back together, and in 1989, on the sandy beaches of Florida, David proposes, um, after he gains the blessing of Sandra's family, and she said yes. I literally told my dad, (laughs) recently, I told my dad, I was like, listen, whoever proposes to me is probably not going to tell you or ask because I don't want that. I thought you were about to say, like, if someone asks you for your blessing, tell them no, because you didn't ask the person you're marrying. Yes! No, that's (laughs) also a good idea. Please direct any inquiries about my daughter's (laughs) hand in marriage to my daughter. To my daughter. (laughs) I know, knowing my dad, he'd be like, I don't know, have you asked her first? (laughs) I don't fucking know. It's the 80s. It was a dark time. They married August 31st of 1991 in a traditional Catholic ceremony in Minnesota. They bought a cozy home on a cul-de-sac. Um, they could, yeah, exactly. They could hear the high school football games from their yard. Oh my god, yeah. And like would go out and like listen. I would hate that. To the, I, I also would. (laughs) Um, but they loved it because he was a football player. So she was a cheerleader. So they loved it. They felt safe. You know all this stuff. So approaching their five-year wedding anniversary, Sandra was pregnant with the first of their five children, a boy, Nico, who was born in 1996. Over the next eight years, the Rockies would have four more children. After Nico came three girls, Samantha, Gianna, and Nia, and finally another son named Gino, who was born in 2003. So they have also a big family, just like Sandra always wanted. Um, Family home meetings of the Rockies depict like a really typical and idyllic family, like birthdays, Christmases, family vacations served as, like, time capsules of happier times, and unfortunately, this happiness would be torn apart in the summer of 2006. 
Let me tell you what happens in the summer of 2006, because I know you're like, where is this going? They seem fine. <laughs> so this sounds fine. Yeah, they're like, they're waiting for me to be like, and they lived happily ever ever, and everything was fine at the end. Yay! <laughs> okay, so this is like rich white people problems, okay? So like, as I already mentioned, Sandra's parents were wealthy and well off. And Sandra's parents created a trust fund for each of their grandkids. So, David realizes that the five trust funds set up for the children by their maternal grandparents, like I already said, were completely empty. Hmm. So, in total, there were 21 trust fund accounts set up because, like I said, Sandra was one of seven. Okay. So, there were 21 grandchildren and each one was, like, named after the grandchild that it was, like, created for. Okay. There were 21 accounts set up, one for each of their grandchildren. The main account being named, I don't speak Italian, but Nipoti, which is the Italian word for grandkids. Okay. When David asked his sister-in-law about the accounts, I think his sister was an accountant, so I don't know. Maybe he thought she could have some, like, insight. Insight. He was unsure of what to make for him, and unfortunately she wasn't of any help. His sister-in-law... When he confronted her about it, open wide and her mouth dropped when she too realized that the accounts, each named after the five rookie children, were completely empty. It was shocking to them both, um, since the grandparents had taken, like, such great care in setting up these accounts. Like, yeah. it was, like, an Italian family. They all, like, loved each other, took care of each other. But, can you, but also, can you imagine having the money to set up 21 trust funds? Trust funds? No. I Because I cannot. I cannot imagine having the money to set up one. So... <laughs> Um, so confused and baffled, David talks to Sandra, and Sandra's like, I have no idea what's going on, like, I, like, I have no idea what my parents are thinking, why are these accounts empty, and, like, the other accounts aren't, like, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, so the other grandkids had money in their trust funds. Yeah. Except for... Is what it sounds like in the book I read, yeah. The Mm -hmm. other kids had money in their account, except for Sandra's kids, and she was like, what the fuck is going on? So Sandra eventually confronts her sister, Anne... And the two had, like, a huge fight. It caused irreparable damage in their relationship, ending with Anne allegedly throwing a coffee mug at Sandra's head. Jesus. So, like, very, like, confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the Grazzini family, which is Sandra's maiden name, mm-hmm. and if you forgot, the Grazzini family would be torn apart by claims to the inheritance. Lawsuits would, you know, last past Mr. and Mrs. Grazzini's lives. Like, both had passed away, and it was still an issue that they were going to trial for. David supported his wife throughout this long and arduous process. He was sitting through weeks of trials. He was paying happy legal fees in an effort to, like, reclaim what they said that, quote, like, belonged to them. So, by 2010, the legal fees had become too much for the Ruckies. David could no longer keep up with all of them. The Ruckies owned three different homes, so I'm like, okay, you guys were fine. Yeah. One of them was, like, their main residence. One of them, I believe, they rented out to other people as an additional means of income, and one of them was, like, a lake vacation home. Lake house, yeah. So, the Ruckies had three different homes, five children, and Sandra used credit cards often in various shopping sprees. Um, and they were now officially struggling for, with money for the first time in their entire relationship. So mm-hmm. things were stressful. Shit was in the fan. And tense and caused them to argue, right? Oh God, because sell the lake house. I it feel sucks, like, but... I know. I feel like most people, most couples argue about money, so... It's like one of the number one causes of yeah. breakups. Yep. 
So that winter, Sandra approached her husband with an idea that she thought of to take some of the financial burden off of the family, which Sandra had gotten from her brother Joe, and Joe was also an accountant. So she said she laid it out for him as the two would get a divorce on paper, meaning um, the government would recognize them as divorced, meaning their money, their like monetary situation would be better because their assets would be like equally divided and this and that. I don't really understand the argument, but that's the way she said um, David claims that Sandra presented this as only, quote, a divorce on paper, a pretend divorce, which would allow them to protect their assets from legal bills that were piling up. David thought this was a good idea. He wanted to protect the family business from being put up as a way to pay for fees. Okay. And most importantly, he wanted to, like, protect his family. Like, the two of them agreed that they would still live together, that their kids would both live with them. Like, nothing would change except for, like, on paper they wouldn't be married yeah, anymore. Yeah, so his trucking company, like, his shares or whatever would, like, no longer be, I guess, like, a marital asset or something right, like that. Right, correct. Okay, so, yeah. all the, so, so the idea was that, like, all of the financial mess with her family would no longer touch, like, the assets that he brought in from his family, which... Exactly. Mm, I don't know enough about like divorce law and assets, but either. it's it sounds like something that you could you could plausibly suggest, and someone would be like, "That sounds like a real thing." Yeah. Also, I'm so glad I'm not a divorce lawyer after reading this book. Oh I'm, my god, like, I work with so many divorce Christ. lawyers, and it's just it's a hot mess every time. There's never like an amicable. There's a lot of yelling. Yeah, I work on a so I work for a really teeny tiny law firm, and most of our floor is like solo practitioners a lot of um because we're right by the daily center a lot of divorce lawyers a lot of family lawyers a lot of guardians ad litem Mm -hmm. yeah so we're gonna talk about guardians ad litem so much in this episode oh great because Um, whenever i hear a screaming child on uh, on the floor in my office i'm like someone's having a meeting with their gal Um, Okay, so this seemed like a simple fix to a pretty difficult and complicated solution. So that April, Sandra gave David some paperwork to sign that she was she was like, this is just to get the divorce started. Like, I just need your signature saying that we can like (laughs) don't read it too closely. (laughs) Proceed in court with this. What could go wrong? And he had been with Sandra at this point, um, who was the mother of his children. Like they had been together for. 30 years of, like, dating and, like, getting married and all that stuff. So he, like, completely trusted her. He didn't read the entire document. Mm, he, he signed the two pages that Sandra had disclosed to him. So of this document, there were only two pages. So he read the two pages and signed off on the two pages. David was like, well, this is how everything's going to work out. Like, this is what we agreed on. It's going to be weird and kind of hard to explain to our friends and family. But, like, this is how we can figure this whole, like, debacle out. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. She already knows where this is going. This is a mess. I, I was it. texting our group chat about this, and so I'm like, oh no, is this the one that went yep. completely tits up? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So in May of the same year, Sandra confronted David and says, quote, I want a break. And David didn't quite grasp what, like, Sandra was saying at first, so he thought she just wanted a break from, like, the kids and, like, being at home and, like, taking care of them. So he was like, oh, well, like, yeah, go out with your girlfriends, like, have fun, you know? And Sandra repeated herself, no, I mean, I want a break. And David was like, okay. And uh, he was like, yeah, both of us kind of needed breaks away from it all sometimes. Like, we had five kids. It was pretty stressful. So he was just like, go out. Like, have a good time. And Sandra was like, well, you you should call your friend Dave. And David was like, what? Why? And Sandra finally drops his bomb. I want a divorce. Like, she wanted a real real divorce, for real, for real, divorce. 
Um, the divorce that she presented as simply being on paper was not, in fact, on paper at all. It was real. David asked why she wanted this, and Sandra just completely ignored him. Like, he said he asked her several times, like, why do you want a divorce? Like, what's going oh, on? What's wrong? Ideas. Like, what's going on in your head? And she just ignored him. I'm Eventually, <laughs> and I, oop. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, David left and went to a friend's house. Um, he was just like, fine, like, I'll get out of the house. I'll give you some space. Like, we can talk about this later. So David leaves the house. He goes to a friend's. In the meantime, Sandra has two of her friends over, and each of them had their own bottle of wine, is what the book says. And I was like, bitch, and? I'm like, okay, so, like, one bottle of wine is, like, a lot? Because it's not for me. (laughs) Eventually, he comes home after, like, talking to his friend and, like, feeling better. He comes home, and Sandra's, like, smoking out the window. These two other of two other women that were her friends like obviously they were pretty tipsy like they were pretty intoxicated he was trying not to cause a scene so he goes upstairs and he asks nico their son to tell his mom that it was late and that the women should call their husbands for rides home bro he's like they need to go home like they're i know don't put your kid in the middle 10 minutes later the doorbell rings and like david is like oh the one of the husbands showed up to pick up his wife whatever And suddenly there was a knock on his bedroom door and David opens it and the police are standing outside his bedroom door. I know. And they have weapons drawn and the police say, you're not supposed to be here. And David was like, what are you talking about? I live here. Yeah, I pay for this home. Like, I live here. And the cop responds, let's go outside. So they drag him outside to tell him, you signed divorce papers today. You're not supposed to be here. And he's like, I signed something that I thought was getting this divorce started. Like, I did not sign divorce papers because there were only two pages of that document. Yeah. So David was shocked. His wife of nearly 20 years had lied to him at this point. Like, the papers he signed earlier weren't to start the divorce. They were to finish it and just, like, get it over with. Mm. So another officer came out and told Sandra and told David that Sandra was willing to leave the premises. But David was like, no, like, my wife's been drinking. I'll just go. I'm sober. Like, I'm worried about her if she decides to, like, drive somewhere or whatever. And I was like, oh, my God, that's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave, he said. And he did. So later that night, David, like a bad bitch, David was determined to see the rest of the documents that he hadn't seen. So he breaks into the house in the middle of the night with a flashlight, like an old spy movie. (laughs) And right. And he finds the papers, like the rest of the document. Mm -hmm. He makes a copy of them on their printer and he leaves, which what kind of printer are you using that? It's like a stealth printer that no one else wakes up. (laughs) Right. I feel like we've already talked about how shitty printers are in this show (laughs) he made a copy and he left and then he gets to his friends and he reviews the papers and he found out what he signed for so he signed a divorce in which the terms were one sandra gets everything the car the home the lake house everything the money and she also gets full and complete custody of all five children And he's like, absolutely not. I would never sign a document like this. This is ridiculous. I'm going to go to court. He contacts his sister, who's Dr. Tammy Love, which sounds like a radio broadcast host. Yeah. And she becomes a pretty important part of the custody battle later on. Um, And she calls one of her lawyer friends. And David, like, while this is all happening, David's like, 
trying to talk Sandra out of all this. He's like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is not something I would sign off on, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's too late. So Lisa Elliott becomes his attorney, and she stays with him um, most of this process. She makes the motion to vacate and nullify the divorce document that David had already signed. Mm -hmm. But she's like, this is absolutely insane. Yeah, couldn't have meaningfully consented to this. Yeah, exactly. So in the meantime, Sandra decides she's going to file an order of protection against David. Okay. Um, She cites that she and her children need protection from him because, quote, he keeps coming to the house, end quote. Attached were pages of alleged abuse that David committed against his wife and children that were filed, that were on file at the Lakeville Police Department. David had off, had also allegedly threatened to kill her and the kids, which was filed in a report from May 22nd. During this, uh, during this trial, Lisa Elliott, his attorney, points out that only one filed abuse allegations were on file for the order of protection, and there were no medical records to provide additional evidence of abuse. So essentially it was only Sandra's, like, word um so lisa advised david not to contest the order of protection um she says instead it would be best if the two communicated only in writing via email or text and only about the children so both attorneys agreed that the court would need to appoint a gal yeah your favorite um is that like a guardian per law or whatever kind of yeah it's it's like appointed by the court to have the best legal interests of the child yep yep um, so the GAL spends, like, weeks interviewing family members, gathering important info for the case. She requested reunification therapy for the children since it had been, like, four months of they, since they had seen their dad. She also requested psych evaluations for both parents and drug testing for both parents. There was a lot of, um, on Sandra's end, there was some allegation of substance abuse on David's end, which was never proven. So yeah, so the GL is doing doing her best. <laughs> so Sandra just doesn't show up for the next hearing. Okay. This this is a wild you need to know, girl. This is gonna be a wild ass right. So Sandra just doesn't show up for the next hearing. Instead, she'd gone to the dolls with her kids. She didn't have her phone on, so her attorney couldn't call her and be oh, like, God. What the fuck? Nightmare. Um, and so they needed to reschedule. Yeah. I'm like, how do you forget? That you're supposed to be in court a day. Like, you forget your cousin's birthday. I do every year because they're my cousin and whatever. It happens all the time. I have so many stories of just like, well, so-and-so didn't show up, so... Ugh. In this hearing, both of David's parents testified that their son had told them about this divorce. Like, he had told them, like, this is what we're doing to protect the family business. Like, this is what we're doing moving forward. We're struggling financially, and this seems like the only and or best option. So Sandra's also questioned about the abuse. So stating at one time, David broke off a leg of a piano to threaten her with and also attempted to choke her. Hey everyone, it's Abby again. Just wanted to let you know about our newest sponsor, Axial Creations. Axial Creations creates handmade, unique, and personalized jewelry and accessories for everyone. Its designs are based on chainmail, which are little links that can make really cool designs. And I've actually gotten lots of compliments on the personalized um, necklace, choker necklace that I got um, from Axial Creations. So um, 
basically, if you want unique pieces of jewelry for a lovely price point that have been handmade with care, check out Axial Creations on Facebook or Etsy and place your order now. A special offer for Queers for Fears listeners, if you enter the promo code Queers for Fears, you'll receive 10% off your order at Axial Creations. So check it out and let us know what you think. So then Nico's Facebook is admitted into court showing a status um, he posted that said, I need everyone to know this is in all caps, just so you know, big 2000, early 2000s aesthetic. It says, attention all friends, my parents got divorced on May 12th. My dad is a bad person. He is abusive verbally and physically. He has hit all of his children and he doesn't care for any of his children. He is a thief. He is a thief, male slut, and an unfit father. He is currently fighting for rights of me and my siblings. He should never get us as he has brought his mommy and daddy and sisters in to fight my mom for rights. He is lying about everything he says. Um, sorry about this. There's, like, no punctuation, so I don't know what to actually pause. Yeah, he's a lot. Um, he continues to say, about Lakeville Hockey Association presidency, he did not resign. He was kicked off for stealing money from fundraisers and from the association overall. Dot, dot, dot. He is a drunk, a womanizer, and a abusive father. I cannot stress that enough. Please do not fall for his pleading act. He is lying. He is not a good person. He is blaming everything on my mom and me and my siblings. He acts like he's a caring father. He has said some of the worst things you could ever say about your children. He doesn't care for his children. Please read this. Do not fall for his tricks. He is a liar. This is not a spam either. This is not a plea for help. People need to know what type of person he is. End quote. Sheesh. Here's my thing. Nico at this point is what? He's gotta be. Yeah. So he's a 15 year old. And like my whole thing during this entire research, I was like, a 15 year old does not write like this. These are not the words of a 15 year old. This is like someone over his shoulder telling him what to write. The punctuation is about that of a 15 year old. However, I will say that. So, um, later on, Nico would claim that his father called him and left angry waste message of messages about him quitting hockey. This is true. There's actually a recording of his dad saying, do yourself a favor and get your ass back in hockey. Because since his dad was such an athlete in school, he wanted his kids to do the same. So, like, Nico and um, Gianna were both in hockey. And when Nico quit, um, it was, like, a big fucking deal in this family because... Nico quit because he wanted to pursue, like, theater, and his dad did not take kindly to that and was, like, calling him all sorts of, like, like, he would just tease him for enjoying theater, and he would just call him, like, some homophobic things and saying that this activity was a dumb idea and not going to help him in his future, yada, yada. Okay, so this is a messy um, divorce, and obviously the kids are in the middle, but this guy also genuinely sounds like a dirt. Yeah, he doesn't sound super great. Um, so days later, Lisa Elliott discovers that Sandra has lied. She's been claiming this entire court battle that she's quote-unquote penniless from these fees that she's had to pay about the trust fund issue. She actually has millions of dollars hidden away in a secret account. account. Yeah. million dollars and has been just like moving it all over the place so like it can't be trash as like that total so like hmm 
So Lisa, his attorney, was like piecing together some pieces of a puzzle. So Sandra has been receiving large sums of money from her family, but hiding it from David. And she was using her kids' trust fund accounts to move the money, spend the money, and hide the money. Sandra had fired her lawyer and did not have any new representation, so she basically represented herself. Sandra is very limited in what she says on the stand, and the judge isn't having any of it. <laughs> her catchphrase is, I can't say for sure. And um, the judge is just like, okay, if you can't say anything, then, like, step down. I don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. fuck you. We're wasting the court's time. Exactly. And Sandra eventually hires a new lawyer in this hot mess. Um, she's caught in a lie about her funds and her fund situations, and she had claimed she was literally penniless. Um, but now she claims that she didn't understand the question at the time about her money and her accounts. She's like, oh, I just didn't know what you were asking me. I gotta ask, are the kids' trust, is, the, is like, the value of the kids' trust funds gonna come back into play here? Like, was she move? was she, like, taking the trust fund money, like, spending it and then laundering it back through a series of other trust funds? I think so. Oh my god. Yeah. What a mess. Yeah, it's a hot mess. Um, so the first big ruling in September of 2011 that happened in David's favor is that Judge Knudsen ruled that he didn't know what he was signing when he signed it, and therefore the previous terms of the divorce are no longer in play. So he nulls and voids it. But now, the hard part is that Sandra and David must reconfigure all the terms of their their divorce. Mm -hmm. So, like, they basically have to start all over. Yep. So the book I read is, like, really ominous about, like, the future proceedings. It says, quote, what came next would be a war fought for years, battles for everything from children to kitchen mixers, staged in and out of courtrooms, on the streets, online, and on television. The war would have no will, no winners and a casualty count far higher than anyone anticipated. Oh my god. I was like, <laughs> So at this point, more testimonies of alleged abuse have made their way into the courtroom from the Rocky children themselves. They reported that David drank to excess and had a drinking problem. Sammy said she didn't feel safe um, with David at home. She says, I know he has a gun and I think he's going to kill us. The kids also cite use of cocaine. They've also said that they've seen him with another woman. Sammy and Nico also say that he was pretty aggressive at like sports perform- performances. He was like really hard on them if they didn't perform very well at games. And David allegedly threatened to shoot and kill Sandra and the children. Casual, casual stuff. So the judge provides a few new rulings. One... David will live on one property, the property at Ireland Place. And so Sandra will live on the other property at Flagstaff. And that their lake house will go up for sale. Which, to me, seems pretty fair. Mm -hmm. Like, you live here, you live here. We'll just sell this place because no one has... Allegedly, no one has the money to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And the children... Like, the child support would total about $1,800 a month, effective immediately. And he would have to back pay what was owed, because this was in, like, October or something. So he would have to back pay from, like, the spring. The judge also rules um, what the parents need to act. They can't bad talk the other parent in front of kids. Mm -hmm. Everything they say to each other needs to be on voicemail or in writing Mm -hmm. so that the court can, like, review it. Um, No destruction of property or documents of the other party. Um, and it wouldn't provide a, the court was like, we can't give you a custody ruling yet. Like this has to be evaluated by the GAL. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. The GAL goes to school, a neutral place, fun fact, uh, to talk to the Rocky kids and finds out that Samantha and Gianna are conveniently both homesick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, she talks to Nico, and uh, Nico says, nobody's listening to us. We don't want a relationship with our dad. He's never been a father to us. He doesn't care about us. He has never come to one of my performances, his, meaning his theater performances. Mm-hmm. All he ever cared about was hockey, and he ruined it for me by yelling at me after all the games. I quit hockey, and I've never been happier. I want to talk with the judge myself. And that's all Nico says. Wow, now I'm done. Okay. All right. So the GL, the GL, the GAL meets with uh, Nia and Gino as well, stating that at times, so this is where things start getting suspicious. Okay. Because Nia would answer for Gino sometimes and even kick him under the table if Gino said a certain answer that Nia didn't like. Hmm. So Sandra barges into the school. There was a rule. So, like, Sandra had made such scenes at the school that there was a rule that she didn't have to sign into the main office anymore because the secretaries just didn't want to deal with her. Whoa. So, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, boy. Um, they were like, she always caused drama, so we just were like, you don't even have to sign it in here anymore. Just, just go. get out of my hair. Just, like, leave. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That should not have been the case, given the whole, you know, school shooter uh, situations. Like, absolutely not okay for the school to have done that but anyway she like busted into the room that the guardian ed Lidham was interviewing the two kids and now the interview was over and no longer productive because like the mom was there yeah. so like what's the point i don't want to talk to you if your parent is here like i want to hear what you have to say yeah gino was nine at the time and he had said like i know my dad had sex with other women and i'm like a nine-year-old knowing what sexes and that and knows that his dad has sex with other women like that seems kind of weird i don't like that at all right like that seems like a thought put into his head by another adult or like his dad had been like inappropriately sharing this information yeah something something, anything is he he got this information from an adult i did not know what sex was when i was nine fun fact the topics and word choices that children, so literally this is what the book says, the topics and word choices that the children used were too adult to be their own words. The GAL wrote in her report, the children's responses were coached or scripted. Most of the children's fears appear to be Sandra's fears that have been significantly projected and transferred onto the children. She concluded her report with an important piece of testimony that would be used in the case that said, quote, it is in their best interest of the children, Nico, Samantha, Gianna, Nia, and Gino, Rocky, to resume a relationship with their father. The father and the children should participate in regular supervised parenting time at the Children's Safety Center. So for now, the kids were staying at Ireland Place with their mother, but had supervised visits with their father since the court had not found any evidence of abuse, except for testimony, which the GAL had said wasn't the children's own. So since the GAL was like, they seem coached. So reunification therapy started to rebuild the relationship with their dad. So eventually the house on Ireland Place is visited by the guardian at Lindham, and she says it's dirty and falling apart. Like, this is where they live with their mom. Mm-hmm. It's like completely disgusting. There's like it smells like urine. It's filthy. It's gross. Psychologists in charge of interviewing all of the parties involved in the case said that said about Sandra, their mother seems to be out of touch and suffering from a personality disorder and a mood disorder. And the custody proceedings are clearly taking a toll on the children. I'm like, well, duh. Like, of course they're taking a toll on the kids. They're kids. The case is upheld. David Rucky's lawyer says that the children are suffering, and the GAL agrees that the kids are suffering from something called parental alienation syndrome. And the symptoms of PAS, as I'm abbreviating it, 
are one, a campaign of denigration and hatred towards their targeted parent. Check. Mm-hmm. A weak, absurd, or frivolous rationalization for this deprecation and hatred. Check, more or less. Lack of the usual ambivalence about the targeted parent. Strong assertions that the decision to reject the parent is theirs alone. Check. Reflexive support of the favored parent in the conflict. Lack of guilt over the treatment of the alienated parent. Use of broad scenarios and phrases from the alienated parent. The denigration not just of the targeted parent, but also to that parent's extended family and friends. So the severity of PAS is determined by a number and severity of these eight systems. The Rocky children all behaved in a manner consistent of these symptoms. Judge Knudsen believes that the children should go to foster care and have reunification therapy with both parents before a final decision is made. And the children eventually go to live with Dr. Tammy Love, David's sister. So that's where they live. Tammy would live at the Ireland Place property with the kids to ease the transition. So, like, they would go to the same school. They would come to the same home. Okay. And Sandra would simply have to vacate the premises. So there's lots that happens here, but I'm going to skim over most of it and just, like, speed it up a bit. So when Tammy goes to the Ireland Place, the locks have been changed. So she's, like, supposed to live here now with these kids per the order of the judge. Yeah. When she goes there, the locks have been changed, the garage code has been changed, she has to call police to help her get in, but they can't figure it out, a neighbor finally breaks into the house, the house is garbage everywhere, it smells like urine, it smells awful, the house also goes into foreclosure because the case, um, which is used as leverage against Sandra, that she doesn't own the property anymore because she wasn't taking care of the property, and therefore it wasn't hers because it had gone into foreclosure. So, like, she's dealing with, like, a fucking mess yeah one of the girls the name is redacted in the book so one of the girls accused the the gal and psychologist of calling her fat asking if she were pregnant accusing her of being a liar she said um about her dad i received a horrifying voicemail of six gunshots um she says that her dad has also made sexual comments to me about my boobs looking bigger and so forth In April of 2013, it was ruled that the girls would move out of Ireland Place. The girls are packing up some belongings. Tammy says she fears, she hears the shower turn on and doesn't think much of it. She's like, okay, they're gonna, like, freshen up before they leave. Mm -hmm. Like, we got a car ride to go, whatever. And then Tammy hears a ringtone go off from one of the girls' cell phones. And she doesn't think of it much. She's like, they're teenage girls. They're, like, constantly on their cell phones. Mm -hmm. Like, whatever. Tammy listens um, after the phone call. Tammy listens, but she hears no voices of the girls. The shower is suddenly off, and she looks for them in the whole house, but there's no sign of them anywhere. She opens the door and sees footprints in the snow. She calls 911 to report them missing, and then she calls her brother and says, David, the girls are gone. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go a little bit further, and then we're going to stop on kind of a cliffhanger. I'm not sorry about it. So Samantha, <laughs> Samantha and Gianna Rucky did not fill the requirements of an Amber Alert, so none was issued for them upon their disappearance because police assumed that Sandra was involved, which makes sense because they were literally involved in like a big custody battle. Uh, there was no evidence left behind of like foul play or that the girls were in immediate danger. Two days later, necessary documents from Sandra and the girls were mailed together. So the detective was like, okay, clearly the three of them are together. Mm -hmm. If these documents are mailed in the same envelope, Mm -hmm. 
three days after they allegedly disappear, they're together. Then it gets even more wild because a couple nights later, a uh, news reporter named Trish Van Pilsum approaches David in their home. She's claiming to be doing a story on parental alienation, and she's like, your kids are, your family is suffering from this. I'm doing a report on this. Can I please interview you? And David's like, okay, but, like, only for a couple minutes. Like, I don't really want to talk to you. And so it wasn't until the end of the interview that Trish told David that she'd already interviewed the girls earlier that day and that the story would premiere that evening. David was furious and Trish would not share any information about the whereabouts or well-being of his daughters. The girls appeared on the 9 o'clock news that night. Like, they had gone missing. And now they're on the news. And now they're on the news. No one knows who drove them to the hotel that they went to meet Trish Van Pilsum for this interview. The girls reiterated claims that their father was abusive and that they wanted to stay with their mother. And meanwhile, David's just at home watching helplessly and having no idea where his kids are. And uh, he says he drove around the the town, like, just looking for them for days and weeks. He's like, where the hell are these? For the next 917 days... Trish Van Pilsum would be considered the last person to see the girls. And for all of those 917 days, she kept her secrets. And that is where part one is going to end. Boo! What happened? (laughs) And that is where we are going to stop part one of the Rocky Girls Disappearance. I told you it was wild. Damn. I know. I know. Thoughts, speculations. I'd love to hear them. I feel because I, I believe these kids that their dad did shitty stuff, mm-hmm. and I also believe that kids often get stuck in the middle in divorces. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm trying to imagine how the girls disappearing like fits into all of this. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know. I've, I've, I've definitely known kids from so both of us are you know our our parents um never divorced and so i don't but i obviously knew a lot of kids from um families with divorced parents growing up and i definitely saw in a lot of cases like the parents get really ridiculous and toxic and try to drag their kids into the middle of it and at the same time i saw like a lot of dirty laundry come out like you know, yeah, my mom hates my dad and constantly talks to me about how my mom hates my dad, but also my dad genuinely did things A, B, and C. Yeah. And so I don't know how to feel about this dad. Like, I have absolutely heard of, like, men making gross comments about their daughter's developing bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, I have absolutely heard of, like, men who threaten the lives of their ex-wives who they're yeah. going through a bitter divorce with. But also it just sounds like this whole thing like the fact that there was a policy in place where the mom didn't have to sign into the office because everybody was fucking sick of her i can totally imagine like a a wealthy white lady like like, pulling that kind of shit i already know who who this is exactly Yeah. yeah so it sounds like both of these parents are behaving extremely badly the dad is probably abusive and the mom all is just like you know, this isn't at the same level of abuse, but she just sounds like a difficult person to work with, mm-hmm. and that just is all, like, several monkey wrenches in finding these vanishing children. Yeah. Yep. Well, also, if the mom was, like, not taking care of the kids, if they were, like, not physically being taken care of, then the mom was also that abusive. That was really weird. That was surprising, because they're so, like, they're well off, and, 
yeah. like, the mom had such a vested interest in, like... I know, like... It's not that she would just be like, okay, I won, like, time to not have Yeah, kids to me, that seemed, like, very odd, because she was, like, Miss, like, beauty pageant, Miss, like, we own three property, like, I don't know. It just didn't I mean, add up to me. If you're living through the aftermath of abuse, I can definitely see things coming apart at the scenes, but this is just a, I don't know, just... I and then the kids disappear. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of following this. This all sounds extremely kooky and messy. And now these kids vanish, and then they're on TV, and they're vanished again. Like, all right, I don't know what. Like, I'd... someone drove them to get that interview done, right? When was this all? Because we've gotten a well. This was like 2011. Okay, then. Uh, yeah, and in like suburban Minnesota, they probably didn't get a lift or an Uber or something. I don't it was think not so. Not that big a deal back then. Because I remember until like. Also, I didn't have I didn't have a debit card when I was thirteen. Oh like, god, that's a good point. I didn't have any money. I don't know. I the only conclusion <clears throat> I can draw is I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I was like, yes. Yeah. Don't look at the notes. I already know she's gonna like ma'am, try to read ahead. I will go Wikipedia this immediately, ma'am. <laughs> don't Wikipedia, and I want your live reaction. <laughs> it was so wild though. Like, there's more like the shit that. Sandra pulls in court. I'm like, what the hell? People are really wilding out in divorce court. I promise I, you. I guess I just like didn't know that. Like, it's a mess. There's a whole. When you were talking about how they could only communicate via voicemail or writing, mm-hmm. there's an entire app that has been developed, um, like specifically for divorcing families. Yeah, it's called like Talking Parents or something like that. And basically, it's like a it's like a texting app, but the court can see everything that you and your ex are saying to each other. Yeah, and so the court can be like, you can only communicate with this app so we can make sure you're not, like, threatening I each mean, other. I mean, that sounds necessary. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, but I'm like, yep, there's when you said, like, they could only communicate in writing or via voicemail. I'm like, there's an app for that. Yeah, <laughs> there's an app for that. This episode of Queers for Fear is brought to you by Talking <laughs> Parents. So that's uh, the beginning of this case. Like I said, it's going to be a two-parter, so you will find out next time what I don't happens even, with I'm, the Rockies. We're not even going to, like, finish this up and then record. She's like, I haven't written the second part yet, so I'm like, I just have to fucking wait to find, I just have to, <laughs> Abby fucked around and I found out, except I still haven't found out. <laughs> so if you want to hear more from us, we're on <laughs> Patreon, Facebook, and Instagram, Chris for Fears Podcast. Yeah. Twitter, Queers Fears Pod, that's me. And our Gmail podcast, Queers for Fears at gmail.com. Hell yeah. Send us an email, please. Tell us you love us. Uh, write a review for us. That would be super helpful. Seriously. Our numbers jump every time you write a review. Yes, even if it's just every like time. even if it's just like five stars. This is okay. <laughs> Their I voices laughed. do not make me want to rip my ears out. Just be like, I laughed twice. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was enjoyable. Totally adequate podcasting from two randos. Yay. <laughs> That's what I got. That's it. That's, That's it. it? Okay, cool. Well, Thanks. um, stay queer. Stay creepy. But not so creepy. And behave yourself in divorce court. Yeah, I was going to say, but not so creepy that you give your partner um, a two-page file of petition for divorce and don't let them read the uh, additional. Oh, God. Um, read your contacts, people. Right? You're at the gym. You're signing up for a gym membership. And they're like, oh, you just have a sign here. It just says blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I'm going to read the entire thing. It's really nice if you work in law, because then I can be like, well, I'm a fairly legal, you know, I just have to read all these documents, guys. <laughs> 
And this, you know, this like, start saying that. this beefy trainer bro is like, just sign the thing. And I'm like, listen, sir, if I feel like, if it says somewhere in here that I have to hand deliver a letter to your corporate world headquarters in like San Mateo with a copy of my thumbprint and my own blood to cancel this gym membership, I want to know about it before I sign this fucking thing. I, I have to still go to my gym and be like, hello, I would not like this anymore. Thank you. Right, right. That's why you need the fucking contract. I have to go contract. in person and I just don't want it, so I've paid for like, at least five months, six months. I mean, not. This is just good advice. Gym. Like when ICE or when CBP like nabs people at the border, they're always trying to get them to sign shit, and they're just like, "You can't see your kids again until you sign this, or we'll let you go home if you sign this." It's always in a language they can't read. Just don't, just don't fucking sign anything. Just, if you can't. Just don't read the whole thing, and if yeah. you understand it, then you can sign it. Do yes. not sign something that you haven't read. Free legal advice from a paralegal. This is not even, <laughs> this is just life advice. Yeah. You yep. need things before you sign them. Okay, but bye for real. Bye for real, stay creepy, and street smarts. Read things before you sign them. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.